Coming up on Please Bear With Me, Terrence Ganaway breaks down all things Baylor football. We look ahead to Texas Tech. This is Please Bear With Me. Welcome back to another edition of Please Bear With Me. My name's Scotty Swingler. So good to be with you once again. Baylor 5 and oh, such a good feeling. So excited. Here with co-producer Martin Thomas. We're coming to you from Houston, Texas this week. So glad you could join us. And I got to say, it's one thing to predict Baylor would start 6-0 like I did preseason, but it's another thing to be there, and it feels so much better to actually be there than to say we could get there. Well, we're not 6-0 and yet. We're 5-0. and Well, you understand. I I was more worried about Iowa State and Kansas State than Texas Tech here. I still think we, we beat Texas Tech pretty soundly. Spoiler alert. <laughs> well, also, you know, don't count them out completely. They did beat OSU this weekend. Uh, yeah, and that was super impressive and unexpected. And uh, part of that, I think, is the game was in Lubbock. And Gundy teams, I love Mike Gundy as a head coach, but Gundy teams will occasionally just drop one they shouldn't, and that was that was their big loss that they shouldn't have had. Maybe Tech will be ours, but I don't think so. But really quickly, let's let's recap this game this last week, okay? Big takeaway, I think one of them, Connor Galvin, out for four to six weeks. Don't underestimate the impact of that loss. Left tackle, the most important position by most people's judgment on the offensive line. And Casey Phillips moving over from right tackle during the game to move to left tackle and seemed to perform well enough. You know, will it stay that way for this coming week? I suppose we'll find out. I'm recording this before the depth chart for Saturday has been released. So we'll, we'll just have to see what they do with that offensive line. Needless to say, Xavier Newman's definitely going to lose his red shirt at this point. I know just last week I said I thought he'd keep it, but losing a guy like Connor Galvin means you find a way to get the best five linemen out there, especially the way Rule does offensive line, everybody kind of playing everywhere at any given time. You know, I think Xavier Newman's going to be an important piece in this puzzle as well. Charlie Brewer did go out with an injury. Matt Rule said in his press conference that Charlie's going to be okay. So that's Obviously, great news because could we have beaten Texas Tech with Gary Bohannon? Maybe. Could we beat Oklahoma State with Gary Bohannon? Probably not. You know, so so keeping Charlie Brewer healthy is paramount and glad that he's okay after he took that big lineman falling on him on Saturday. Other than that, man, in, in terms of the game, Baylor continues to surprise me with their defense. I really thought going into this game this past Saturday, you know, Kansas State averaging over five yards a carry as a team, a dynamic rushing attack. You know, that's what they do well and what they have done well for as long as I can remember. And Baylor's defense playing really well against the run thus far this season, but of course not facing an attack quite as good as Kansas State's and played just tremendously once again. And I can't say enough, you know, we've talked about it long enough that you can really see 
what a coach is doing schematically by year three. That by year three, you can judge a coach's success in terms of scheme, or you can start to see those schemes coming around. And I think we were all skeptical of Phil Snow's defense after years one and two, which is silly if you look at his resume. But we were all skeptical, and we had issues, you know, primarily at safety and linebacker making some tackles. And this defense this year, it is like night and day. This defense flies to the ball. They wrap and tackle. It's the best defense in my lifetime. I'm, I was born in 1992, so obviously most of my lifetime, Baylor was terrible at football. And then under Bryles, Baylor was really good at football, but still had a terrible defense. So it's it's been really fun to watch the defense be the best component of this Baylor team. I mean, for this Baylor team, the offense might be the third best component. And the offense is pretty good, but between the way the defense has played and the way the special teams have played this season... I mean, what else can you say? Matt Rule is doing what he can do. A guy that's coached both offense and defense at the college and the professional level. Played linebacker in college, has coached linebackers. He's coached offensive line in the NFL. He's coached defensive line, I believe. I believe he's coached running backs at a stop. I mean, the guy, just brilliant all-around football mind. And Baylor in year three is finally looking like what Matt Rule promised. And there's some chatter, Martin, on the Twitter sphere that this Baylor team could get into a Big 12 title game. I think that's realistic. See, I think that's realistic too. And then there's that part in the back of my brain that's like, bro, we're only five games in. Yeah, we're a dark horse contender, but we are a contender. Yeah, and I think I said preseason that we'd finish three or four. And, you know, so to think that we could get to two is not a stretch. Texas has to lose a couple of games. Don't worry. Texas isn't back. <laughs> well, we all agree on that. And I've said from the, from the word go that we're going to beat Texas at McLean this year, uh, that my opinion on that hasn't changed. But we need Texas to lose to Oklahoma and maybe lose one more. You know, I think we're all assuming Oklahoma is going to roll through undefeated. But, you know, I mean, we'll see. I would say if Matt Rule, if Baylor finishes third in the Big 12, Matt Rule deserves National Coach of the Year. If Baylor makes the Big 12 title game, there's, and if anybody else wins National Coach of the Year, it's it's a lie. I mean, unbelievable. What, what else can you say about this team and how well they're playing? What else can you say? I've got no, like, in-depth analysis to dive into today. I've got, I'm, I'm going to save a lot of that for Terrence Ganaway. I just... I'm so impressed with this team and that win on Saturday. Did you see anything that I'm not talking about? I mean, I was just really, really happy with the way we played on both sides of the ball, defense especially, coming out of the CAB era. You know, I'm I'm so used to just offense, score, score, score. It doesn't matter if they score, we'll outscore them. And it, it's been weird to be like, oh, I'm, I'm getting into the defense. And that's been a really fun thing for me. Football is great because... It's fun to watch. Like a defensive ball game is fun to watch. In my opinion, some people might disagree. I think a uh, a good defensive ball game, right? Not a ball game where the teams just can't score, but like both defense, like Baylor versus Iowa State in that first half. 0-0 most of that first half. That was a blast. Both defenses just playing extremely well. And then offensive shootouts are fun to watch. Baseball, I'm sorry. I don't like a defensive baseball game. I want to see hits. <laughs> <laughs> You know, a perfect game is something, but like if it's just a regular old baseball game and each team has two hits, I'm bored out of my mind. Basketball, 
it's typically you like to see the higher scoring games back and forth, back and forth. Uh, defensive games can be fun, but football is kind of unique in that fact that it's fun to watch a great defense. It's just as fun to watch a great defense as it is to watch a great offense, in my opinion. But okay, so uh, again, I'm I'm not going to say too much more. We've got Terrence Ganaway on the phone, and then we'll preview Texas Tech. So we'll be right back with Terrence Ganaway. All right, I've got Terrence Scanaway here on the phone with me. Terrence is not only Baylor's single-season rushing leader and a fantastic football player, fantastic football mind, but Terrence is a friend, and I'm glad he's joining us this week. How you doing, TG? Man, I'm doing great. Today's my birthday. I get to talk to the famous Scotty Swingler. Man, I, life couldn't be better, bro. I didn't know it was your birthday, man. Happy birthday. I would have said that at the beginning of the call. <laughs> well, you know, you, you know uh, since it's my birthday, everything I say will be right. So you just have to agree with me, man. You can't disagree with me on my birthday. <gasps> oh, hey, we've already previewed some of this conversation between you and I, and I know we're going to disagree on a few things. But, hey, tell me this, man, before we get into some of the other l- little things that I know we're going to talk about. Tell me what you saw on Saturday against K-State. Got to be impressed with a big win on the road against a, a very good K-State team. Tell me what you saw, what you think your overall impressions of the team so far this season. I mean, I, I think that, you know, how dominant we are offensively and defensively. Now, we got to, you know, sure some things offensively on the offensive line, and I, I know we got, you know, Connor Gavin out for a few weeks, but the offensive line play has probably been the most inconsistent. However, we've still been rushing the ball well and getting some big plays out of the running backs, and Charlie Brewer made some great plays with his legs. Um, you know, I, I think that's probably the most inconsistent unit on the team, but overall, this is a really, really dominant, you know, football team, and yes, it's not, you know, winning the game 70 to... 35, but I mean, winning the game 34 to 12 uh, is is dang near very similar to winning it 70 to 35. It's just a much different style of ball. I mean, and I appreciate you know what Rule and his staff has been able to do this year, and you know to stop two really good teams and you know and, and two back to back weeks. Iowa State put up 70 the week before they played us, and you know outside of the debacle in the fourth quarter, I mean we pitched a shutout for three three quarters. Uh, and then Charlie Brewer let us down to, you know, have a game-winning field goal at the end of that game. But I, I just think this is a really good defensive team. Uh, they play smart ball. Uh, and I, I think that I'm really looking forward to a quarterback trying to test us. Not that we haven't been tested, but a quarterback that can definitely throw the ball down the field uh, a lot better than have some talent on that back end because that's going to force him to sit in the pocket. And I think we do uh, some really good things coverage-wise there allow our defensive line to be as disruptive as they have been. Let's talk about that a little bit more because I had you send me a little clip a couple weeks ago, I think after the SFA game, man, because we came out with that three-lineman front, and I know you expressed some concern. I was concerned until this past Saturday, and K-State had a rushing attack that was averaging well over five yards as a team, and we held them to about three on Saturday, and really it was at about 1.8 until a couple big runs there in the fourth quarter. So when you're looking at that defensive line now with those three guys, Lockhart, Roy, Lynch, all playing really well, have your concerns about the three linemen been alleviated a little bit, or are you still worried that could be an issue moving ahead? No, it's a creative defense, I and mean, then you can move it up. You can move those guys 
on that line, and uh, and you can bring some linebackers in the box, and you can show a team uh, a lot of different things. And showing a team something and actually doing it, uh, it it's totally different. So when you, you get five people on the line of scrimmage and a team think, hey, we're going to run this, we're going to block this zone scheme, and then a linebacker drop off, and now you got, you know, Roy, Lynch, and Lockhart one-on-one, they're beating one-on-one blocks and sometimes double teams because, you know, they're making adjustments at the line, and I think Phil Snow uh, has done a great job, uh, you know, showing different things and bringing some, you know, different pressures and then using those guys to drop back under cover and uh, being able to take care uh, of some things in the pass game. But our defensive line uh, all across the board has just been beating one-on-one blocks, and that's why you get a scholarship. That's why you get an opportunity uh, to play on, on Sundays and I just think that those guys have been playing big-time ball, and uh, I'm really looking forward to – I think Texas Tech's a decent team. They beat the Oklahoma State team that I didn't think they were going to beat. But here in a couple of weeks, and at least in November, where we can walk into the you know, Oklahoma game 8-0, uh, 9-0, that Oklahoma-Texas game, I think those are going to be the true test outside of us just being ready to play everyone else on our schedule. I mentioned this to you, speaking of that, going into like a Texas or an Oklahoma game undefeated, I mentioned this to you in a text message earlier this week. I'm still worried about Stillwater, man. I know Oklahoma State just blew a game to Tech. I know they're inconsistent. They got a freshman quarterback, but they've got the best running back in the conference with Shoba Hubbard. And we've only won one game in Baylor's history in Stillwater. Are you are you worried about that game a little bit still, or you think are you confident we can go in there and get a W? Well, only time, only only way you can win two games in, in Stillwater is you go win the second game. Um, so I, I, the team that won, you know, a couple years ago with um, Chris Johnson at quarterback, all those guys are gone. I'm pretty sure. I think that was 2015 ish. Uh, I think it was 2015, maybe 2016. Um, but the, all those guys are gone. This is a totally new team. Uh, Matt Rule's been up there. He they didn't play well that first year, but we went one eleven. Kansas State is not an easy place to play, and they went up there and they dominated the game. They controlled the ball. I saw a couple, you know, sputtery drives. I mean, they dominated the game from start to finish. It was never in question, never in doubt. I mean, they we just were lights out in all phases of the game. If we go up to Stillwater and do the exact same thing, dominate in all the phases of the game, and, and we're slowing running attacks down, and I know Trooper Hubbard is a home run threat, and they got some really talented receivers at Oklahoma State. Not sure crazy things happen out in, uh, you know, Lubbock, but if we go in that game, you know, 7-0, 6-0, and uh, they're going to be eager to play us and eager to beat us. I think that's the the interesting dichotomy to being a really good team and a really great team is good teams can get to 6-0. Great teams keep winning once they get there because everyone wants to knock you off. Now, everyone knows what Baylor's been through. There's going to be a lot of talk around that stuff. Fans are going to be getting in, you know, players' heads. But you just go out there and you play within the 100-yard, 120-yard field. And you go go have fun, and I think this team has had a lot more fun this year. They're dominating in all phases of the game, and they're they're much better players from where, where they were, uh, you know, two years ago. And obviously, we had one of the youngest teams in the country, and we had a lot of excuses. Which you know, there's another thing, but now they're just playing ball and winning winning games. So Stillwater, you know, it's going to be Stillwater. But if we go up there and we keep dominating, and we take a defense. 
that's been pitching, you know, shutouts, you know, several quarters this year, I think I think we have a really good chance to go up in Stillwater and come back home uh, with, with the W. You mentioned that this team looks like it's having more fun than the teams of the last couple of years. Part of that has got to be it's it's fun to win, right? I mean, you, you win ball games, you're going to have a lot more fun than when you go one and eleven. That's just a fact. You said uh, right before we started tracking a few minutes ago that you know we were talking about Coach Rule, and you said at the end of the day, it comes down to wins and losses. He's paid to win, Terrence. He's five and zero. Um, how are you feeling about Coach Matt Rule? I know you were skeptical, like a lot of us, like myself, you know, that first season. How are you feeling about Coach Matt Rule and the job he's doing here in year three? You know, I think it's everyone's obligation um, to to fully buy in the rule. Uh, now, whether they do it or not is their prerogative. But, you know, a lot of the angst against Rule was he was so different than what we were accustomed to. We're accustomed to, like, stadium just bobbing when you walk in, a lot of cheers, and you knew we were about to score 70 points. And, you know, a lot of bitterness towards Baylor University, the athletic department, uh, the, the the governing officials of the institution. So there's a lot of things that went into, you know, factor when we talked about Matt Rule coming to be the new head coach. And then you go 1-11, you're like, why is he changing everything? But the reason why he's changing everything is because Matt Rule was never focused on one year one, year two. He might not even be focused on year three. He just signed a long year deal. He's going to be here through uh, 2027 football season, season. And so he might not even be focused on this year. But when you build foundation, the foundation like he has done, you know things are going to work out in the long end. And, and you know, as a football player, I've played at Baylor. I've been in locker rooms. I've been in locker rooms in the, in, in the NFL. The one thing that you cannot, you know, really get a glimpse in, and that, that is the locker room culture. And we see what the product is on the field, but we don't see the inner workings of how this team is getting better, how this team is working, how this team is working on small, minute details. And, you know, they were close. They lost, you know, several games within a touchdown or less that first year. At the end of the day, it's still losing. I don't like losing. You know, you ask me what was my record my senior year, I'm going to say, hey, we're 10-3, and three. we lost three games. It wasn't like, hey, we were close, we should have won this game. That's just that's a, that's a final stat and that um, you can't play with. And I think for everyone, Browns guys, you know, Cavs guys or whoever, if you don't like rules, then you don't like Baylor and you don't like football. Because what this team is putting on the football field now, uh, is a product that will sustain. If Rule leaves, these guys have learned how to play aggressive defense, and they learn how to run the ball effectively well. And then they got a quarterback that is going to be a great uh, quarterback, and that has been a great quarterback for Baylor. So, um, you know, I want us to go six and zero. I want us to go twelve and zero. I made a bet on you know, Baylor game day show that if Baylor won ten games. Uh, which I didn't think at the time was, was possible. If they won 10 games, I'll jump into Bradford, uh naked in, in December. But I would have a life vest on. I don't know if that's considered <laughs> naked. Uh, I hate the cold water, but I, I would definitely do that. And I, I think the way we got our season set up, we, I think Stillwater is going to be our toughest test because of where we played them. But getting Oklahoma to come here, you already, if we're both undefeated, that, we might have a college game day atmosphere. Uh, sure. There's going to be a lot of 
fans, and that stadium is going to be rocking. And if we beat Oklahoma on November 16th, and we come around and beat, you know, Texas uh, November the 23rd, I mean, y'all, this, I'm telling you, it's going to be a fun, fun ride in Waco, and I can't wait to go skinny dipping in the Brazos. I was going to make you tell that story later, but you told it on your own volition, man. Good on you. I'm rooting now even more so for a 10-win season just to hear about you doing that, man. Hey, so let's get into it because uh, you and I, we had this conversation in a text thread earlier this week. We kind of started having it before I set this microphone up and then I had to get you recording before we kept going. You have an opinion about the wide receivers on the football team, and I'm going to let you state your opinion before I tell it's you. Not, it's, it's not an opinion. Okay. I know you and Michael Bartome have went on Twitter and y'all have engaged in statements of facts and opinions and stuff like that. But, yes, Taquan Thornton is the best receiver at Baylor University. Tell us more about how that fleshes itself out because I'm not – listen, you might think I'm crazy for saying Denzel Mims <laughs> – is the best receiver on the team. But I think a lot of people agree with me. So tell tell anybody listening to this podcast episode exactly why this, you... Denzel Mims is the most uh, decorated receiver on the team. team by, by all means, he's a all preseason All-American. Uh, he's one of the Big 12 you know, favorites. Uh, he, he, he is a dominant receiver. He runs great routes. He catches the ball well. Uh, he's had a couple of drops this year, uh, but the guy is, you know, a go-to money threat. When we were struggling against our state, you know, it was 0-0, and Tyquan Thornton caught a ball, and he made some moves, and he caught a big catch on the home sideline. He jolted some energy in the, into the Baylor football team. And not saying that anyone else, you know, you know, you know doesn't do that, but Denzel Mims had that same opportunity to do that in the, on the first drive of the game and what could have been a touchdown pass on the post uh, uh, or maybe a, 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 a deep slant that uh, he had across the middle, but he dropped the ball. Denzel Mims is a possession receiver. He, he doesn't, and I'm not, no, slack, no, no, no shot at Denzel Mims. He's a great receiver. He's going to play on Sunday. They're both two different types of receivers. But wait, within five seconds, you just said he's pedestrian, and then you said he's going to play on Sundays. No, he's not a pedestrian. I said he's a possession. Possession. I'm sorry, I misheard you. Possession receiver. Yeah, no, 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 no. He's not a pedestrian, someone you can get off the street and plug into his position. He's not that. I, I look at him as a Keyshawn Johnson receiver, a big play, big moment receiver. And, and you know, there's a lot of receivers that play years Hall of Fame receivers that has played years in the NFL being a big play possession receiver. I'm going to run that 12-yard dig, and I'm going to catch it with someone all over my body, and we're going to get the first down, and we're going to keep going. When I look at, you know, Taquan Thornton, I'm thinking, hey, I'm going to throw the ball, and I'm a, he's an Antonio Brown-type receiver. I'm going to throw the ball. I'm going to give you the ball in space, and I'm going to let you be whoever you want to be. Now, Antonio Brown and Josh Gordon on the same team, I'm not saying that, you know, Josh Gordon is, you know, isn't the best receiver because he can be, he has the potential, and Denzel Mims is that guy. That's how I equate both of these type of guys. Denzel Mims can break a tackle. He can go, he can go yard. 
he can't take it to the house from anywhere on the field. But Antonio Brown and Tyquan Thornton provide that big threat, big play threat anywhere on the field. When you get in the red zone, you want the ball in Josh Gordon's hands because he's going to go up and get it over anybody. Same with Denzel Mims. You want the ball in Denzel Mims' hands in the red zone because you can spread them out. You're not going to have a much take to help. And the way that Charlie Brewer has been placing the ball in the red zone, it makes it it makes it like a cheat code he's out there. But when when you're talking about production, which I think is going to um, – Taquan Thornton is going to get more and more uh, plays and more and more opportunities to, to have a big year. I think of production, I think Taquan Thornton will lead uh, Baylor football team in one – possession uh catches and also yards but okay so i would understand terrence if if it was just a comment of who is more explosive with the ball in their hand i might give you taekwon on that taekwon's got track speed you know out the wazoo the guy is fast and the guy has shown this year an ability to make some crazy leaping jumping catches i mean he's a tremendous receiver and i i don't even deny that by Taekwon's senior year, uh, he could turn out to be a better receiver than Denzel Mims. But today, man, just because Denzel's not quite as fast, you know, we're talking difference in style. I don't know if that means that Taekwon's necessarily better than Denzel Mims, right? Uh, he's more consistent because he catches the ball. He has caught the ball. And, uh, like, everything I say... And people that's going to dodge, you know, dissect this, you know, thing and listen to what they want to listen to, it is no shot at Denzel Mills at all. But Tyquan Thornton is the best receiver on the team. When you think about his explosive play ability, his consistency to catch the ball, and his con- and his ability to make a five yard route into a fifteen twenty yard game. College football is all about emotion and being able to motivate someone to play a game. He has done that more than anyone on the, on the offense. Him and Tristan Ebner have done that more than anyone on offense, being able to just inject energy and emotion into the game. Okay, but let's let's run that comparison for a second because I'm, I'm curious on your opinion with this because you are one of the best running backs in Baylor's history. If you look at that running back core that we have, I would agree with you that Treston Ebner is the most explosive or the uh, biggest threat in space, but I might argue, Terrence, that John Lovett is actually the best ball carrier on the team in terms of consistency, one cut, hit the hole, gain yards. Ebner tends to dance around a little bit and lose yardage sometimes. So how do you draw the line between explosive and and best player? D- translate that to the running back group for me. And I'm really curious. We haven't talked about this before just now, but I'm curious how that translates over to, to the three running backs we have. All right. So I said uh, Tyquan Thornton is the best receiver on the team. I never said Tristan Ebner is the best running back on the team, but I, I get where you was, you know you you made that comparison because I was talking about how much energy he joined right. into the offense. Yeah, so Tristan Ebner is the best pass catcher uh, weapon out of the backfield. He does some things and he can get us in some personnel things where he's fast enough to um, be able to make plays on the edge uh, in the passing game and he's strong enough to break tackles as a running back. John Lovett is a one-cut running back. He is a DeMarco Murray. 
He is not a Alvin Kamara. Uh, and, and when you got a one-cut guy like that, when he makes a cut and he gets open and he's going down, you know, the field and he's running through tackles, he, and, and he's been able to show that he can do a lot of things um, to really um, just affect the outcome of the game and take and have a home run, you know, threat uh, uh, in his legs because you don't think of him as a, you know, fast guy or you think of him as a bruiser, fall forward five or six yards. But when you think about what he's been able to do uh, running the ball, uh, I think all three running backs are very, very dynamic. Uh, you think of Hasey that can be just so physical, and sometimes, I, 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 you know, he gets to play and it, the play just doesn't develop like like it should. But um, I, I think all three running backs are great, and I think how we've been using them uh, have been fine. Uh, and, and they all bring a totally different element to the game. Uh, if it's third and five and I need a first down, depending on where we are on the field, I'm probably going to throw the ball to Todd Cornthorpe across the middle and or give them ball in, in space and let them go make a play. If we're at the end of the game, me at the end of the field, and we're on the French territory, I'm going to loft it up and have Denzel Mills come down. So how we use those players in different situations is totally different. Doesn't make it where one is, you know, one of those running backs is, is better than another. I do think in a passing game, there's no brainer that uh, Tristan Ebner is the best running back. Since we're talking about skill, guys, I'm making up this question on the fly, but I'm curious because you've watched, and you played with a couple of these guys, you've watched Baylor for over a decade now have generational talents at wide receiver, whether it was Kendall Wright, your teammate, Terrence Williams, who I believe you also played with quite a bit, Josh Gordon, Tevin Reese, Antoine Goodley, Corey Coleman, and now you've got Jalen Hurd, Denzel Mims, Tyquan Thornton, just star receiver after star receiver. Which one of those guys is the best out of everybody that's come through in the last decade? Kendall Wright and Corey Coleman are the best receivers that ever played Baylor. I think I agree with you. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's just no question. From a, I mean, The guys were, I mean, you just go back and watch them. If you don't agree with me, anyone that doesn't agree with me, go back and watch them. Denzel Mims is a big-time, big playmaker. He's a gamer. He makes big plays. Tyquan Thornton, when it's all said and done, he can be up there with Corey Coleman and Kendall Wright. Jalen Hurd, I mean, you really don't – you didn't get to see a, a ton out of him. Yeah, he was productive. He's just such a freak athlete that he can just do things and you just think, like, how can this dude transition to make these type of plays as a, you know, former running back? But he's just such a freak athlete. And as an athlete, as a coach, you want to give the ball to the most freakiest athlete on the field so they can make freaky plays. I would probably agree with you. I think Corey and Kendall, from from a pure, just could score on every play, talent, speed, route, catching the ball. They, they had it everything. I think the guy that gets left out when we have this conversation is Terrence Williams. And I know he, he's a different kind of receiver than those two. It's almost like this conversation we just had about Mims and Thornton, possession versus uh, explosive. But that dude had 1,800 yards his senior year. It was a main factor. And so I, I, I think, you know, we had a quarterback that, you know, you know and Nick Florence that could – you know, get the ball up in there, and Nick Florence was a great timing quarterback. So whenever, you know, uh, Terrence ran the routes, uh, it was, uh, you know, right on him. But I, I think that production was manufactured, uh, meaning that 
we chose to go to Terrence Williams all the time, regardless of what was, you know, uh, what was happening from a defensive scheme. Kendall was not manufactured. We needed Kendall to win, and Kendall was going to make a big play. Corey's was not manufactured. He just made big plays every time he touched the ball. And so, you know, yes, Terrence Williams is definitely uh, one of the best receivers to ever play at Baylor, uh, but definitely two types of production stats. At the end of the day, you watch, you know, you go back and look at the stats, you go, oh, man, well, how can you say he's not this and that? Uh, it was definitely manufactured. Not to take anything away from Terrence Williams. Yeah, 100%. This is an opinions show, Michael Bartleman. Are you listening to me? This is this is about sharing what we think. So you're you're not. I don't think you're talking bad about anybody. But let's get back to present day. We, we that was a fun little rabbit trail. Let's get back to present day. What do you anticipate from Texas Tech this Saturday? Homecoming, big game. What do you see happening for Baylor uh, in this game? And then you've already kind of previewed this a little bit. But tell me a little bit more about what you think we're going to see from Baylor the rest of the stretch. Well, you know, you just got to win every game. and uh, Not win every game. You have to play every game to win every game. I think the problem with the Dallas Cowboys is, you know, I'm not, I don't care too much about the Cowboys. I actually hate the Cowboys. I'm an Eagles fan. But, you know, watching the Dallas Cowboys is everyone in the Cowboys organization is focused on a NFC championship or Super Bowl. The season is long. You win three games, and everybody's like, oh, we got to win we got to win the Super Bowl so everyone can keep their job. And the reality is you only got to win the next game on the schedule. And as you win the next game on the schedule, everything else will take care of itself at the end of the season. When you look back, all right, we didn't win every game on the schedule, but every week was the season. Every game was a season. And as Baylor continues to march down this stretch, every game has to be the season. Matt Rule has to prove nothing to me. He owes me nothing. He has to prove nothing to any of the fans. Anyone outside of the locker room, he has to prove nothing to. Now, we have the opportunity and the pleasure to go to games and watch him, you know, present what he's been working on and, uh, and watch the show of football. But he doesn't owe us anything. And for this team to continue to win, all they have to do is go beat the next team on the schedule and not try too hard, not say, hey, let's go win a Big 12. Don't worry about Big 12. You win, you win the next game. Everything else take care of themselves. And that's, I think, the problem is happening with the Cowboys is they're trying too hard. I think a lot of this is the pressure has been lifted off of Baylor because they don't have to try hard anymore. And when they win 11-1, everybody's like, oh, we got to be better next year. And let's go out there and win, you know, 76 games to go to a bowl game. I think they've taken a step back. Like, listen, we're, bowl game is not our focus anymore. Let's just go win each game. Dominate the way we're supposed to dominate, and then everything else is going to take care of itself. Now, saying that, you know, uh, this weekend, all we got to do is the one thing I wish we did better defensively is got is have more takeaways. Uh, I, I just think there's a, a, a true correlation between winning, especially when you play great teams. Uh, when we get deeper in the schedule, and we're you know going to get some teams that know how to score, they have some veteran quarterbacks uh, and stuff like that. Uh, you have to learn how to take the ball away from them to keep the ball out of their hand. Um, and so I wish, I hope that we can do that a little bit more, get more interceptions. But from a, a special team, I think we're doing great special teams-wise. Uh, Texas Tech, I have no idea. I, I didn't watch the Oklahoma State game. I have no idea how they beat Oklahoma State. 
but I definitely want to see us dominate from a defensive line, defensive front perspective, and then I want to see us play a mistake-free game on offense. So give me a score prediction for Saturday. Uh, man, I, 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 you know, everything is very fluid uh, early in the week. You know, I, I, I say a bunch of stuff uh, that I don't really mean, uh, but I do think Taquan Thornton is better. Like, that's a statement. Like, you can, you, can, you can print that up and hang it on the wall. I, I, just, it, I just think that. You know, you, whatever you want whatever however you want to look at it. I'm an Eagles fan, like I said. It's an argument that anybody can have. This is how I will look at Denzel Mims and Tyquan Thornton, Deshaun Jackson and Alshon Jeffrey. You can argue who's the best receiver on that team all you want. I'm sure a lot of people will say uh, Alshon Jeffries because of his production, but you can argue that any way you want. So I, I'm okay if people say Denzel Mims is the best receiver. I don't care if Denzel Mims has 1,500 yards and 20 touchdowns to receiving because that's only going to help Baylor win. I hope he does that. I hope Taquan Thornton has the exact same. Uh, but I, that's the statement of fact. So back to the question you asked, who I, what, what I think the score is going to be this weekend. I I will be, depending on how Texas Tech scores 17 points, I will be, I would I will not be happy if Texas Tech um, scores 17 points. I think Baylor should be able to move the ball very easy up and down the field on Texas Tech defense. Uh, we're playing at home. It's got a, it's homecoming. The atmosphere is in Baylor's favor. Uh, I, I think Baylor wins 42-17. I love it. And, hey, last question, last question, and we're going way off the radar here. You and I have geeked out over comic book movies a couple times in our friendship. Have you seen Joker yet? No, I haven't. Uh, I, I've heard that it's crazy good. I don't know if I will see it. Uh, most likely I will because I just like movies. But I, 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 I'm, I'm a thinker, and I spend a lot of time in deep thought. And so when I watch a movie like that, and I know mental health is not anything to play with, and I don't think the movie is making light of mental health. I think it's just giving us a real vivid description of what mental health is and, and maybe starting a conversation around it. So kudos to uh, the actors and the directors and producers of this movie. It broke box office records for the month of October, um, I probably probably will go see it um, because I, I just like the – I like to see character development. And if they're going to use this type of Joker into future, you know, Batman uh, films, Justice League films, I think uh, it gives us a, a really cool perspective into what really transpired and made him who he was. I think one of the biggest travesties for Marvel's is that Marvel did not do an origin film of Thanos. If they would have given us an origin film of Thanos, I think it would have, I think it would have made us want to, you know, um, cheer for Thanos even more than we already did. They made him like a, a god, not really a supervillain. Um, but um, I, I think that's the, one of the biggest travesties for um, – for, um, uh, Marvel and this is Infinity Saga. Now I've heard that this is not part of DC. This is like a standalone movie, The Joker. Um, but I assume you've seen it. I have friends that have seen it, and they they all tell me that I have to go see it. Yeah, I saw it last night, and I I think it's a standalone man, but it's worth seeing. It's and 
the few things you said about it are pretty spot on, but you'll enjoy it, man. But anyway, anything else you got for listeners of Please Bear With Me before I let you go, bro? Man, you know, like I said earlier, uh, to be honest, I wasn't a big Rule fan uh, to start. I wanted to work for Rule, and and it's not – I just wanted to coach college football. Anyone know me? I'm very, very passionate about college football. It just didn't work out, and and Rule's a great guy. Uh, he is, he's been the right guy for the job. I just hated losing. And so going 1-11 one, one that first year literally, you know, just pissed me off. But like I said, Rule doesn't owe me anything. I don't sign his checks. I don't pay any of his bills. You know, I don't tuck his kids in the bed. Like, he doesn't owe me anything. And what he did last year, you know, going, winning the Texas Bowl against Vanderbilt, and then going, you know, starting this year off, you know, with you know, with five wins, and and the way that he's been able to do it, you know, not a lot of talk coming out of Waco. You know, not a lot of respect from the national people. We just beat two really good teams. Iowa State should have beat Iowa, and Michigan is going to be you know getting hyped up over a, a horrible win over Iowa. But Iowa State should have beat Iowa. They had opportunities to win. Um, Mississippi State uh, got beat by Kansas at Kansas State at home. We just beat two really solid middle-tier Big 12 teams that I would I don't mind putting up against any other conference middle-tier team any day of the week in Iowa State and Kansas State. Uh, but if we want respect, we just got to keep winning. And if you keep winning, everything works out on its own. So um, if you're not a rule fan, if you're not already on the ship, already on the wagon, or whatever you want to call it, it's time to get on the boat and it's time to pick up a paddle and start rowing too because um, this team is is really special and I, I think that there's a lot of uh, positive things that's going to come out of this this year and they're on, the only thing this team has is, is is going up. There's no going back for this team. So really excited about all the guys that stuck through it all and made this a possibility. But um, yeah, it's time to get get on the rule boat. All right, Scotty, man, I appreciate it. You went against me a couple times. I told you it was my birthday. You shouldn't do that. But uh, <laughs> anytime, man, thanks again for all you all you do, man. Looking forward to, to hearing the responses. Hey, I love you, brother. Thanks for jumping on with us. Hey, you, th- you got it, man. Anytime. Thanks once again to Terrence. Ganaway for joining us. You know, Terrence and I met a, a few years back when I was still a student at Baylor, and I think he had just graduated and was still in Waco. And uh, ever since we've met, Terrence has been a very loyal friend, and he's just a stand-up great guy, great representative of what Baylor's about. Love hearing what he had to say this week. If you didn't catch it, I, I don't know how well the phone call recorded. I think we're, we've caught it all right. He bet on live TV for like he does the Baylor game day show for KCEN in Waco and on live TV he said if Baylor wins 10 game this year I'm going to skinny dip in the Brazos in December and I think before the season started we would have said oh you're safe he might be in trouble and that water is cold it is cold I did a little suspension bridge jump in October my freshman year and even in October, and, and we're in October right now, and it's still pretty hot. I know the cold front came in this week, but it's still pretty hot for the most part through October. And even in October, that water was cold. So, Terrence, you're going to be freezing a little bit, my man. I'm rooting for it. 
For the sake of Baylor football, I'm hoping you have to skinny dip in December. Never thought you'd hear that on this podcast. (laughs) All right, real quick. Let's look into Texas Tech this week. Listen, number one Baylor fans, it's homecoming. Get to Waco. Get to the game. Bottom line, attendance this year has not been great. I was a little taken aback by Matt Rule's response to a question in his press conference this week. They said, you know, hey, you've played in the big game environments in the Big 12. You've seen what great crowds are like. Does McLean Stadium give that to you guys on Saturdays? And Matt Rule said, it should, or something to the effect of, it better this Saturday. You know? And that's Matt Rule being really nice and saying that uh, I think the fans have underwhelmed this year. And I know the games have been hot, y'all. I'm not... I've I've made these come to the game, please, on this podcast before and had some of y'all fire messages at me like, well, we have kids. I'm not telling you to take your kids out if it's too hot for your kid, okay? But what I'm saying is when there's 25,000 people at a football game, at a Baylor football game, when a Baylor team's 5-0, and that's embarrassing. It, it just is. This team is 5-0. and you beat Texas Tech this Saturday, you're bowl eligible. 6-0. and Dead in the race to get to the Big 12 title game. It's homecoming. I mean, everything about this. Cold front came in this week, Martin. No excuse. If you're a Baylor fan, I want to see you at the game. Go to the parade. Have a good time. Bring your family. I got some friends coming in from El Campo, dude. One of them's a Tech fan. Ugh, Tech. Two of them are Aggies. And oh, that's worse. Well, but the A&M's playing Alabama this week, so I, I think they'd rather watch Baylor beat up on Tech than watch Bama beat up on the Aggies. <laughs> uh, but yeah, one of my buddies that's coming is a Tech fan, and I'm I'm so sorry, Heath. I'm sorry in advance, dude. It's gonna be rough. You know, you just heard Terrence Ganaway say forty-two seventeen. I'm really intrigued by what Tech is going to be able to do on offense. I don't know, you know, the way Baylor has played to this point in the season, the way the defense has performed, I think Terrence is right. You know, I I think 17 is a good kind of estimate of where we should hold Tech. But Tech, Matt Wells, the the new head coach at Texas Tech, great offensive mind, will continue that legacy that Tech's always had of being an explosive offensive team, particularly through the air. I think our secondary is facing its biggest test this season. I think Brock Purdy and Iowa State was a was a big test. I think this week it might get tested even a little bit more so, certainly from a schematic perspective. And so I could see Baylor holding Tech to like 10 and I could see ba- I could see Tech scoring like 30. I mean sincerely, it's just going to be a matter of of how well the game plan is executed. And uh you know, I'm pretty confident. Uh, I I think even if Tech scores quite a bit, I think we outscore them because I think they still don't have a reliable defense. I don't think we're going to turn the ball over as many times as Oklahoma State did. I think you know Charlie Brewer still doesn't have an interception this season. Uh, we're doing a great job protecting the ball, you know. So I, I think I'll take Baylor. I think Ganaway was pretty close. Ganaway said forty-two seventeen. I'll say thirty-eight twenty. 38-20, Baylor wins. You know, just I, I think we we maybe not score quite that many, and Tech maybe gets a couple more points on the board. But yeah, I think a twenty point victory, give or take, is about right. I don't know what the line is. I haven't looked. Yeah, I'll say thirty eight twenty. Martin, what do you think? I was actually thinking thirty eight twenty four. I'm gonna see if I can pull up the line for you real quick while we're talking. Okay, sounds good. 
And let's be really clear. Part of my uncertainty about how much Tech can score is Duffy, the quarterback who's replaced Alan Bowman. Duffy, you know, was Mr. Texas High School Football. He's a freaky, talented athlete. Uh, you know, no question, but he has been the most inconsistent quarterback when he's had to play for tech. You know, Bowman got hurt last year and Duffy had to play quite a bit. And then I think Duffy got hurt as well. If I remember correctly, I don't, you know, remember for sure. So we've got the line. Uh, it's Baylor by 10 and a half. Yeah. I'll take Baylor to cover on that. Uh, 10 and a half. I really thought Baylor might be even more of a favorite. I guess Vegas is looking at what tech did against Okie light. Well, it also goes as more people bet the line will shift and yeah, it's pretty yeah. early in the week. So, right. Yeah. We're recording this on a Monday night. Yeah. I'll take, I'll take Baylor with the points on that. But back to what I was saying, Duffy tech starting quarterback this coming Saturday had an outstanding game against Oklahoma state almost leads me to believe even more. He won't play well against Baylor. He's so up and down in his career. He'll have a game where you think that he is, you know, just incredible. And then he'll have a game where he just flops and, and turns the ball over Ganaway mentioned that turnovers were going to be a big thing we need to see Baylor maybe do a little more of. And I think you've got a good opportunity against Duffy to maybe make a couple of those happen. And our secondaries played outstanding this year. Our defensive fronts played outstanding this year. We'll just have to see how it goes. So give me Baylor, 38-20. Martin thinks it'll be a little closer. Ganaway thinks it'll be a little bit not as close. We'll just have to see what happens. So. Anyway, hey, that's really all I got for this week. I, I wanted to make sure we gave Terrence Ganaway as much time as he wanted to talk. Uh, love having him on. So thanks again to him for coming on. Thanks to Martin for helping me produce this show every week. Thanks to Tim Watkins, Bears Illustrated, for helping us put it out there. For everybody who's involved with Please Bear With Me, thanks for listening. Hope you have a fantastic week. Get to McLean for homecoming. We'll see you next time. Sick and Bears. Please Bear With Me is brought to you by Bears Illustrated over at Baylor 247. Thanks to my man Tim Watkins over there. Thanks to Martin Thomas for producing the podcast this season. I'm your host, Scotty Swingler. All the music you've heard today was from Iron Kids. Check them out at Iron Kids Music. See you next time.